0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to a very special and personal episode of the podcast. Today, I spoke to the one person who has been with me since the beginning. My manager, my right-hand man, my number two, who also happens to be my big brother, Mike. After 12 years in the job, Mike has decided to bring his epic Art Centre chapter to an end stepping down from his role just five days ago. During his time, Mike has seen every single one of the students we have taught walk through the door. He has played an integral part in more than 130 live shows and events, and his immeasurable contribution has helped build the foundations of the art Centre, which have helped to impact the lives of tens of thousands of people across this community and others. In this exclusive conversation, Mike talks about his reasons for moving on, his ongoing battle with mental health, and the lessons he has learned over the years. He also talks openly about the people who have impacted his journey the most and shares some special memories from the last decade. This is the first time that me and Mike have sat down and spoken in this much detail about any of these points. It's honest, it's personal. It's moving, and for me, it's incredibly inspiring. This is the Arts Insider podcast. Okay, so Mike, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do the podcast. This is the first time you've been on the new version of the podcast, uh, and I think for me, it's probably one of the most important episodes, um, probably the most important conversation I've had, certainly uh, in the last probably in the last 10 years so uh, I want to jump straight in really with with the big question that probably everyone is wondering everyone has been wondering is you know why have you decided now after 12 years of being the art center manager why have you decided now is the right time to to step away from that role um and you know give us some context around around the sort of build up to, to that decision
1: yeah okay so it's probably about three years in the making and um, take you back to 2020 to lockdown which for me was the the point in which the trajectory of my journey I felt started to change so Go going through lockdown, going through that process, being at home, and all of that. I felt at the time, coped with it really, really well. Thought, yeah, this, yeah, you know, I've, I've survived lockdown. I don't get what all the fuss is about. You know, this is great. Summer's sun's out, and then we got to like the lockdown stage two, which was the end of the October, and we all got the news that we're going back into lockdown, and it was like, wow. And I remember, it was it was that night that. That my journey changed forever which sounds really heavy but it was at that point that I first really experienced the impact of my mental health issues and I was here on my own it was the 31st it was Halloween and it was kind of closing down for the night turning off lights locking doors and normally at the end of the day I'd like make myself a brew and I'd you know, whatever, go and sit at my desk, finish off what I was doing, and I would come to leave. And I was in the kitchen. Uh, Kettle was on, and the shutters were up. And sometimes looking out across the hall, and it's dark, and it's it's a bit creepy, so I I went to pull the shutter down. And as the metal shutter crashed, something tripped in my head. Like, I had an episode that I'd I'd never had before. Um, Panic attack, proper, like, fight or flight mode, and I just ran. Um, ran out of the kitchen colliding with with everything that I came into contact with um, and practically locked myself in the office alone, I was like, what the hell Staring, sat at my desk, staring at the wall and I felt there was something or someone with me, looking at me torturing me, troubling me and I I couldn't I, I, I found Ash, I had to ring Ash um, to come to the centre. She was like, what for? I said, just don't ask questions. I said, just, just come. And she came to the centre. I literally gave her my keys and I, I literally ran out the building. And from that day, I started to lose control. I started to hear things. I started to see things. I started to develop irrational fears of things, mirrors being a massive one. I couldn't look at myself in a mirror. I couldn't look into a mirror without fear of something or what was looking back at me. Um, and I I really started to struggle right through the Christmas and then it got to like into 2021 and it's like what are you going to do about this so in the December I'd gone to see the doctor obviously I turned 40 in lockdown so my mum was like you know you need to go see your doctor just get some advice, get some help and when I went to see the doctor it was like everything was in the red your cholesterol was high, your BMI was high, your blood pressure was high it was like whoa you know you're going off the rails you need to get this fixed so I made a decision to sort it out started getting some counseling Joy and Minds Matter went through some stuff with them but because of covid it was all over the phone which I I just didn't relate with really at all got myself on some medication for my blood pressure but refused from day one to go onto any level of medication to deal with my mental health my anxieties my didn't want to do it opted for the the harder way which was to lifestyle change hydrate exercise not me- not meditate I've never really meditated but I started to watch videos and uh, TED talks things like that to help thingy the brain and that became my new way of, of being and I thought right okay I'm on the right path here started to lose a bit of weight started to go well and then it got to the summer of 2021 and it was around the Euros time and we were like, you know, people were watching the footy, people were coming together and I was still fighting these, putting on brave faces and coming to events and coming to... And it was the night that we played Denmark and I remember it well. I'd been struggling behind the scenes. My relationship with with Ash was was impactful because living with someone with mental health issues that is as animated and as volatile as I can be at times was really taking its toll on on my life in, in all aspects, not just work, but in all aspects. And I remember watching, we watched the Denmark game and being a big football fan, a big passionate person, I was sky high, we're in the far first final, it was like absolutely buzzing. And then I, I received a message that night, not long after the game had finished, that, that Ash had moved out. She'd gone back to her mum's and my whole world fell apart. And people then started to leave the centre. People started to make their way home. I got really short with a few people that night and I ended up being left in the centre on my own. And for want of a better phrase, my head fell off. I, I, I lost complete control, started to become really destructive to myself, to just, to everything around me. Um, and it was at that point that I realised I needed help. I needed some serious help, and I turned to Facebook. People, you know, we talk about social media and the platform that it is and the negative impact that it is, but that night, it it was my lifeline. It was like I need to. How do I reach out to to people? And I literally grabbed my phone and I literally just posted on my my timeline that I need help. And it, I know it was yourself that that turned back up that night, and I was just I was an absolute mess. I was I was all over the place. And I know that after that night you like sent me home. It was like, take a couple of weeks. Just and I remember going home and I literally spent two weeks on the couch. I didn't, I didn't move. I was just I was I f I was a nothing. I, I had nothing to give. Ash was at a mum's, I was alone, I was just I was broken. It was rock bottom. I thought, how do I, where do I go from here? How how do I rebuild this? Started to try other things, try this, try that. Nothing seemed to work. It was just, you just start putting on a brave face and soldiering and soldiering on. Um, And then we got into into 2022. And you're still trying to implement these changes in your life, but nothing seems to be working. I can't sleep. You know, just fluctuations in mood. Some days you wake up and you just can't be bothered. Other days you can. Other days it's like I can change the world. Other days it's like no one cares. It's just, you just don't know what the next hand is that you're going to get dealt um, and then going through counselling and f- through various, you know, counsellors, I, I had two or three over the period of time. Some really didn't work, and I left programs because I didn't resonate with them. And I feel the chemistry between two people has to really work. I eventually found one that I that I did resonate with, and that really started to put me back on track. But it it was always going to get worse before it got better because it starts to open doors in your mind that you've never opened before, either because you've been afraid to or you didn't know what it was it was like someone just takes your life and throws it up in the air and goes, pick that up. And you're like, oh, God, where would you start? You can't. You don't know where to start. And it all came to a head last year, um, and it all just got a little bit too much. And, you know, I just, I, I just didn't know what to do. Um, ended up taking it out on people like yourself, Ash, mum and dad. It was like you start pushing away all those that are closest to you. It's like, how can I do this? Who do I turn to? You know what? I'm gonna do it myself and I'm gonna push everyone away. You go into self-destruct mode and you start to have the worst thoughts imaginable that there's just there's no point. I, I can't go on anymore. I can't I can't do this. I can't live this life. I started to have visions and things, horrendous visions of of things that might happen if and I just and yeah, I literally pressed self-destruct and thought, I'm done, I'm finished. And it was at that point, obviously, that that we spoke. And I unloaded like forty years of hurt. It sounds like an England song, doesn't it? It's like unloaded forty years of hurt onto the shoulders of those closest to me. And it was at that point that it was like you need to you need to get help. You need
0: to take some time. And was that the lowest? Was that the lowest point? Do you think? What was the lowest point? Was it that that night after the Denmark game, or was it? Probably that was the
1: realization of this is rock bottom. This is me lying on a couch at home. My partners left me i 've pushed everyone away. I have literally got nothing left i have, I have nothing I have, I have no strength I have no energy i i wasn't eating i wasn't sleeping i, I just i didn't move. I was just like this is this is it
0: I, I remember that I remember it really vividly that coming back in and seeing that post on Facebook and actually coming back into the building and seeing seeing you on the stage and there was like broken glass in, all over the floor and i i remember thinking that there was you know there was yeah you know, i i felt a little bit like responsible for it you know it was like how you know th- there was this huge demand what you've not spoke about yet is is the as well as you going through all of that personal struggle personal sort of turmoil relationship issues with your relationship self esteem confidence fear poor sleep poor diet poor health etc there was this huge demand from from the job the, the job that you've done th- this this fast moving sort of environment that, that demands so much from you at all times and i actually felt that that i felt hugely responsible for that as in you are y- yeah you look like you like you've said and you've illustrated it you you just look like you were you were broken you were completely broken, and it was hard to. It was hard for me not to say, "Well, surely this is an element of of the work and the demand that he's that he's under." Just give us a little bit of a context in terms of, you, you know, so you talked about your own struggle, but just add all of the work into that. Just how 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 does that all of how did you manage to do the work as well as? Deal with all of that stuff that you were going through.
1: It simply comes down to me: uh, stubbornness, hard work, integrity. Don't want to let people down. You know, my my entire life, I've always been a doer, passionate, get, getting the job done. You know, worked since I was 16 years old. Left straight school, didn't do college, went straight into the workplace, and I, I just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And always having this feeling of um, inadequacy, or you know inferiority syndrome or imposter syndrome and all this, like never feeling good enough like I was worth it. I felt every single day I had to do everything in my power to prove I was good enough. And if that meant working 12-hour days, doing night shifts, just whatever it was, burning the candle at both ends, as my mum used to describe it, then that's what I would do. And there was no balance. There was zero balance. I didn't know how to balance at that point. My head was that, you know, and... You you literally you, you do you work, you work yourself to the bone trying to to please the people around you, especially those closest to you, the likes of yourself, the likes of Ash. You want those two people in your life to be the one that you know puts you on that pedestal and is like proud of you and it's all that. And it's like some days you know you can't, but you do it anyway, and you work tirelessly to your own detriment, and it, it has a massive, massive impact on you that that was a it was a me thing yes obviously it is the job and it is the demands of the job but it was also the the demands that I put on myself to I I have to be good enough I can't go my entire life not being good enough and if I've got to work through the night and sleep in the photo studio and do this and do that and not eat and not wash and not shave because I've got too much to do then that's what I've got to do and slowly but surely your entire life becomes your job your social circle, your pastime, your hobby. It's your job. There is no other. And I felt that I just got myself into that. And because of my anxieties and my my own inhibitions from being young and struggling with situations, when I found myself in a position where I can't deal with this, I struggle with this, I need to talk about this, I didn't. I, I can't have that conversation. I, I can't tell Mark this or I can't tell Ash that. or I, 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 I just need to get it done. I just need to... You know, pretend it didn't happen and just and, and just get it done and, and fix it. And I'll I'll do this and I'll do that. And it's just you just can't. It's just not sustainable. You know, when when you do that for what felt like you know probably ten years up to COVID, probably nine ten years, and then you have that break in time that COVID was, and then it all hits you like a. You know what the hell? <laughs> Where'd that come from? And you're like, what? What have I been doing? What? What is this journey I've been on? But you know that you're, you've actually orchestrated it yourself through who you are. But then you've turned around at the end and and tried to blame everybody else. Or this is you. This is yeah. And blah blah blah. And I can't do. And but but ultimately, you need to look in the mirror. And I say this to everyone nowadays: if you can't look in the mirror and look at who you truly are, and hold yourself to account for your actions. Then nobody can. And I think people today, they don't want to have that conversation. They don't like to have that conversation. They're in denial. It's easier to blame every I'm gonna blame the job, the lifestyle, the diet, the all of this. No. Look in the mirror. The problem's staring you back in the face. You fix you and you fix all of that around you. And I didn't I didn't see that until I went through therapy and got the right help and spoke to the right people in that three months off last year that then started to find me the pieces of the jigsaw that i had
0: been missing for so long can we can so back go time. go back to that i remember so we, we were sat in the boardroom and you we you know you and i and my mum and dad joined us f- for this for that conversation and and for those that that have never worked with with family People say don't work with family because mm-hmm. um, you know you, you get from family this this kind of undying loyalty uh, and you get this work ethic that your family our family particularly you know we, we have a very similar work ethic and you know values and morals always align because we're, we're part of the same family but it was becoming I remember sitting in the boardroom and you, and you, yeah, you told me all of this, all of this, these feelings that you had. And again, I, I, I couldn't help but think that the job had become really unhealthy for you because of what you just said. And I remember saying to you that you need to take time off. And I, when I say off, I mean off, off. And you, you said that you were very, you were very afraid of the fact that you, I think it's probably the right word, that you... You know, the job is all you had. Um, And if you didn't have the job, you you had nothing. And I I was in this really, really difficult position of like, he needs time out. In fact, this might be the most unhealthiest situation he's in. But at the same time, he's telling me that he, he he needs to have this job. And it was like, I remember just thinking to myself, I was in such a difficult position. And I thought, how would I be... Would I be any different if if you were my brother? And that was so like, it, it's such a difficult dynamic. Certainly when someone is su- suffering in the way that you were suffering. And I I, I think it's probably fair to say I, I pretty much forced you to, to take that time. Uh, I remember saying to my mum and dad, I'll take I'll take his keys off him, um, so he can't come and go. And you, you you know you sat in the boardroom. You were you were hugely emotional and it was it was just a horrible horrible day for 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 lots of reasons um and what i hoped would happen was you would go away and and you would yeah you would like you say just start to 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 rebuild yourself from there so obviously that was the first time really in in probably 10 years that, that you'd you'd had any prolonged time out just give us a, 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 you know, give us a bit of a, a an outline of of those building blocks and how you how you began to to start to make sense of the, the chaos.
1: Yeah, so like the control thing. Just to add some context to that, when you feel like you're losing everything, your relationship, your mind, your sleep, your your appetite for life, it's so important that in your head, if you don't have control of 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 at least something. You've got control of nothing. And I felt like I was losing literally everything. And I thought if I can't just hold on to something that keeps me somewhere, then I might literally just drift off and and that's it. I'll never be seen done again. Um and it happened last last month, you know, building up to to eventually leaving. I set myself a challenge of of running every day. That was my control, that was it. Everything else was very emotional, mentally, just like I can't believe this is coming to an end. But I had that every day to like to keep me. So that is that's why I fought so hard to regain that little bit of control because at that point it was the only thing that I had some control over because everything else I had nothing. Um, but then I, I went into that that three month period, you know, May, June, July last year, and it was actually I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what the start was. I thought, you know. I did, didn't know even be- know where to begin, and I got a message off, off Bev Beth Roberts, randomly, who was, you know, I'd got some funding for a, a mental health program, a, a life changing life therapy, and and like she offered me a place. I didn't seek it out. I didn't. I'd seen it on. I'd seen it advertised, and Bev messaged me and was like, "There's, there's a place on this course for you if you want it," and at the point I had I'd nothing to lose. I I'd, I'd lost everything. I was like, I've I've got nothing to lose, so why not? So I went, um, turned up, didn't know what to expect, and um, put me in touch with the the therapist at the time, Nina Kundi, who was absolutely fabulous, and that became ninety minutes in my week every Friday for three months, and it it started to really change my life around, talking to like minded people, speaking to someone. Nina especially, so positive, so like you've got to look at life this way, reframe things, under all of this. And it was like, right, okay, I need to start just saying yes to, to new opportunities. The counsellor that, that I'd been with had said that she'd added me on Facebook and it was like, I'll tag you in anything that I feel that could help. So then I got tagged in something, which was through uh, Westlanc's counselling, which was these like anger and negative energy groups, which were down at, Scale Thai. So it was like, why don't you go down there? Why don't you do that? And it was like, okay, it's fine. It's funded. It's twice a week. So I'll do that as well. So I went down there, got in touch with uh, Pete Bleasdale and, and Scott Stewart and started doing that twice a week. So there was now a negative, there was a, a positive action for my negative energy to get it out, go and punch crap out of a bag, go and kick this, go and bang, 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 bang. So I've now got these two things. Now I'm surrounding myself now with new people, positive people, driven people, passionate people who want what's best for me. It's like, wow, okay, this is amazing. I then got a message off uh, an old arts parent um, who was at my old running club, Boundary Harriers, who'd followed my story at bits and Bobs and was like, why don't you come back? Just just come back. re your love for running. Come and join the, the Scalmersdale running community Again. Yeah, why not? I've got nothing to lose. I just started saying yes to stuff. So I went back to that. And for those that follow my journey, my running journey over the past 12 months has gone back to what it used to be. I'm now an avid runner again, competing and, you know, getting myself back to kind of where I want to be. And I'm starting to feel in aspects of my life that, you know what, I am good enough. But it is literally saying yes to new opportunities. Don't, I even went to church. You know, I it was it was a point at the time where my uncle Mike was over from Australia. I welcomed a conversation with my uncle Mike just about belief and religion and church, and just just me and you know just to get someone else's aspect on on where I was at and what direction I could go in. You know, and, and as you know too well, and for those that know my uncle Mike, he's probably one of the most influential speakers. Just positive people to just kind of be around so it was like right okay so i tried church it had never been something for me um, and you know and it wasn't something i ended up taking up in the long run but i opened my mind to the the concept of what what if this works so i so i did that for a, for a, a couple of weeks but it was just if you look for positive things positive things happen and for far too long my life had just been one big negative and every thought was what's the point it's negative it's never going to work for me i'm not good enough no one cares so why whereas as soon as you change that mindset and start saying yes and yes and try this and try that actually the world isn't as as bad as you make it out to be and when i go back to my previous comment about looking in the mirror and looking at you you realize that you are the catalyst for all of your problems and you fix you, you switch internally, and going back to the work and the pressures of the job, I was never my priority, never, you asked me once, put your priorities in the list, and it was like, you know, my job, my car, my bills, I wasn't even on the list, and in that period of time, I realised that your number one priority, and everyone's number one priority, should be themselves, and until it is, you're you're doing it wrong and I I remember having a conversation with with Ben Rigby after after James was born and I asked Ben the same question because I went out for a drink with Ben and who who was the priority he went well it's James and I was like it's not I said it might feel like it's James but it's you because if you're not 100% the father that he needs when he needs you you're not going to be there so although it seems like the right answer to say my son is my priority. He's second on the list because you have got to be number one um, and that I realized that more than anything during that period and then following that you know formula, you start to rebuild.
0: I, I think I, in my head, what I hoped would happen was was new habit formation. You, you were in such a habit and, and as, you've, as you've said, the habits were a way of you keeping control. But so it, you know, it's like something is better than nothing. And there was a, there was a great sort of saying around, you know, un, until the the pain of change. It's like this whole thing around, you know, you can you can kind of sit with something that's painful, because the the change of uh, the pain of change is is greater. When when that flips on its head, it's like all the, all you've got left is. To be able to change, because actually staying where you are now is actually more painful than ever. And I hope that when you, you you actually had that time, that's why I was keen for you to 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 really distance yourself. Was yeah to start building new pathways, building new friendships, getting new voices that would potentially help to yeah to to change your mindset. So so you you I remember you coming back from that. And you started to sound very differently. Um, you started to to look and, f- you know, everything just seemed so much more positive. I remember saying to you at that time that when you came back, there was no way of, um, you know, it's like when you're coming back, the job has not changed. The job is still as demanding, as high pressured as it's ever been. The demands on you and the, the sacrifices that you will be asked to make, not, not from me, but the, what the job demands was you know and, and I thought the only thing that will have changed now is 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 you so you came back into the job um you came back in and, and you know sort of hit the ground running um and then obviously you were in a really good place at, at that point give us a bit of a, a an idea of of kind of what happened from from that point to to where we are now
1: so yes yeah, so as you say literally came back in felt like I not completely fixed still out my troubles you know for those that deal with mental health I feel that all of us suffer with mental health at, at some point we all you know it's just those there are sufferers and there are fighters those that let it consume them and those that accept it and go I'm, I'm going to deal with this so I came back into it I'd supply I'd spent three months supplying myself with the tools to to now cope with it but you're, you never know how you're going to cope with it when you then put yourself back into the fire so to speak. So I've been off for three months. I was doing I had all these new habits, new this. That was, that's great. But now you've got to reintegrate that working life back into this. Is that going to work? And it's one of them. You, you don't know until you actually try it. And, you know, for a good six months, it was it was fine, up to Christmas. And three. I thought, yeah, I just so much more positive. My impact on people was becoming more positive. I felt like I was really starting to get somewhere with my health, my weight, my activity, just just lifestyle in general and then i'm not, i'm not quite sure what what the turning point was exactly but it was around like end of like post awards night feb maybe coming into like march time i just started to like I, I don't know started to just get some of those thoughts again some of those visions again started weird little mood started to creep in and it was like where is this coming from and once it starts it's it can be really, really hard to shake off, especially then when you get back into show season and show prep, and you feel you're like it's those red flags of like I've been here before i, I know what I know what this is like. I've felt like this before, and I've seen these pressures coming, and oh, it's happening again, and you start to then dig this hole for yourself that you've you've just spent the last six nine months trying to get out of, and you realize that it never actually goes away. You just learn to cope with it. Some days you cope with it better than others. Some days it takes you by surprise and you're like, oh, wow. And before you know it, you've been pulled right back in. You drop your guard for a second and it's like... And, yeah, I, I, I struggled to shake it. And I, because exercise has always been one of my releases, that's my my thing that I go out to get out of my system, I ended up picking up a, a little bit of, of an injury um, in my calf. So for, for a couple of weeks... I couldn't train, you know, January, it was like, I'm going to do 50 miles, Feb, 60 miles, 70 miles. I was really on this. And then it got to like the end of March, early April, and I had this cutoff injury. And it was April, that it started to like, I started to struggle because I couldn't exercise. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. I, I couldn't go to the gym for the same reasons. And I felt those positive habits. I got into a cycle of not going to tie not going to Harriers, not... Obviously, Nina, that had moved on, so I didn't really have Nina to turn to now in terms of a therapist. And you very quickly realise that those positive things in your life, if you don't keep up with them, if you don't, like, keep them as part of your routine, as part of your positive habits, you very quickly end, end up back where you started. It's about that routine, that consistency. And my consistency started to slip through injury and just through like, you know, I don't need this right now type of thing. And then it got to – and because I was in that place and I was struggling with those emotions and then obviously the decision that you made to go away just came at a point for me where of of all of the weeks to be left in charge, this is is not the week. But I kept – no one knew. I just kept that to myself. I was back in that position of don't tell anyone, you'll be fine. And that week I I struggled. I just struggled with, and all of those thoughts of, you know, this isn't fair, why me, why am I, why? All, all started to come back. Um, and I, yeah, I, I started to speak negatively again, start to push people away again, start to create a world where I'm not good enough again. And it was like, I feel like I've literally gone back 12 months. I feel like I'm literally back where I started this time last year and then it wasn't until the conversation with yourself when you got back and it was you put it into perspective and it's like yeah maybe maybe it was never going to work but I had to try it to see if it to see if it was and maybe now this is this is it I tried it I've literally ended up back where I was I feel this this is the moment now if if it if it's ever going to happen this this is it I gave it 12 months. I gave it six months, nine months. And, you know, it's not quite worked out probably the way I imagined it. Um, And for the sake of my relationship with you, with Ash, mum and dad, and just people around me that were constantly being affected by my choices and my actions, I thought if if these relationships are going to work, I need to stop trying to fix the relationships and and fix me. Mm Um, and the only way I can do that is by removing myself from from the fire, you know, um, and and that was what it was. You know, I, I asked you for a couple of days to process some thoughts and have a couple of conversations with some of these influential people in
0: my life. Um, and then... Well, I remember I remember asking you a question, just a straight question, because um, I could tell that you know you'd gone from being super positive to, and I could see those signs I could I could see them and I remember asking you a direct question after I come back and said to you you know is this a situation of square peg round hole have you have you thought that maybe this job doesn't fit with the new mic and you it's like you it's like you didn't want to believe that that was the case and then you two days went by and you came back and said I've decided to to move on and I think that that for me the way I've seen that and hopefully I'm sure the way you see it now was you could not have made that decision six months ago two years ago maybe maybe even for the last 10 years you 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 didn't realize that actually by saying in the past you'd have just seen that as quit I'm quitting you know and Seth Godin talks about it in his books. Uh, there's a book called uh, The Dip, and and we all have dips in our in our life, in our work life, in our relationships. But sometimes Seth Godin talks about a cul de sac when you are in something and you it it's not conducive to to who you are, but you don't get out of it. And actually, by staying in that cul de sac is quitting by not being true to you and doing something just because you've always done it that is actually quitting and i think that you you had come such a even though you felt like you i remember you saying to me i feel like i've gone back to square one and and that was you, you weren't giving yourself enough credit for for where you had come because you you made that decision really quite quite quickly in the end and i think the break you know like you say it was it was much more you are going with the flow rather than trying to cling on to, to some form of, of structure. Just for, for context, this is, you know, for anyone who's listening who who does or has or, or is thinking about working with your family, and in our case, brothers of, of very similar age, give us an, a, some idea of, of, of why that, that is really difficult.
1: I think it comes from obviously the relationship between the the two people or the family is key. I mean, I've worked with family since I was sixteen. You know, I went straight into a job at sixteen, both where my mum and dad worked, and I had the same issues with them. I wasn't working with them directly; they went like over me as such, but we we clashed in the workplace, and it affected my home life. We'd ignore each other for days and. You know, since I was 16, there was only a, a two, three-year spell when I worked at Matalan, where I've not worked with family. I've worked with family my entire life. And some people go, oh, it's great, that, our oh, brilliant, it's like a little family business, great. Yes and and no at the same time. And I think the points that I I made to yourself last year when when we had that conversation, because of the, the inferiority complex that I'd created for myself since we were kids, and you, you go back to school. And I think I said to you in that conversation last year that I'd almost, like made you the villain in my story through no fault of your own, but through my perception of of the world uh, and reading things now and, and listening to things like you should never put anyone above you and never put anyone below you and all, all this type of stuff. But I'd spent the majority of my life literally doing that. You know, I was like, I've always been a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, master or none, classic, you know, C student at best, coasted through school, was never... I am not the wasn't the person I am now, the life and soul of the party. And I used to look at you, it's like, you know, the captain of the football team, the highest scorer on this, the, the cross-country team, you know, the girlfriend, all this. And I, I was like, I, I was never any of that. I was never going to be this, I was never going to be that. I was mediocre at best. There were some things I excelled in, but I was kind of just an also-ran. And then you grow up, and you get circles of friends, and just experiences, and then you end up getting your own job, and the marriage, and the the kids, and the family, and all of these things, and you're like, why 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 not me? Why not me? All of all of these great things in life, and that I wanted, and I would love to have. Why am I not good enough? And without actually realising it, I'm making you the bad guy. So then, when I then come to work for you, I've now even I've strengthened that even more, because it's like oh, I've now put him in a position of authority over me when I've already got this inferiority complex anyway. So I made a rod for my own back that I kind of knew I was going to have, but my passion for the industry and wanting to to come and work here and, and get out of the job I was in at the time, which you know, I remember you offering me the lifeline of come and work for me, and it was like at that time I was in a really bad place in my other job, so it was like, yeah. I'd have probably taken anything at that point, but at the time it seemed like a great idea. You know, Swarvy was on board, Mum was, you know, Auntie Pauline or Becky. It, it was. It seemed like this like family business. It was like it was a no brainer. It was like you know maybe the money's not going to be great, can't. But it was like I don't care. It's like what do, this is be boss. This will be great, and it all felt amazing. But then yeah, add to the pressures of the job and just the workload that that comes with the art centre. That people used to say to me, so what is your job like? I said this is my job. Yeah, but like when when, when sessions are not on, they're like. It's, it's the nothing to do, and it's like people just don't realise the enormity of running from your health and safety, accounts management, premises management, everything. It's like you've got no idea. <laughs> you've got no idea. So you add that workload and that pressure and and my own pressures that I put on myself that I mentioned earlier accompanied with the inferiority complex of I'm just not good enough
0: and I'm never going to be good enough and it, it became a, a like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah yeah it, the, the way that it, it's so fascinating like you the way we speak to ourselves or the way we is is the most important conversation that we have you know when we tell ourselves that we're not good enough we we are inevitably not good enough yeah. uh, and i think that's what happened with that time out that you you know and, and certainly now the conversation you're having with yourself just seems and and that has a massive impact on everybody else um Yeah, I mean, I felt that there was times when, you know, you would, it's like you would not socially. There wasn't. We had no social relationship. Mm -hmm. We had a work relationship. We were colleagues, but we weren't. We weren't brothers who worked together. We were we were colleagues Mm -hmm. because I think brothers means that you have a deeper a deeper connection away from the office, Mm -hmm. and I I know that you feel the same. We that. That had literally disappeared to the point where you were like looking at your guest list for your parties or barbecues, or and thinking, "Do I have to invite my brother here?" And do you know what I mean? It's like b- because you, you, we just didn't. There, there was all there always seemed like an air of angst, you know, and that, that and and for people who people who don't have never worked with family, or certainly as as and you know the highs and lows that we've had in terms of the the job. People would just never realise how difficult.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, like, although, we, like you said, we touched on earlier, we are very similar in terms of our work ethics and our passions and our visions for life and stuff, we're also complete opposites as well. And I have struggled not just around yourself but around other people who, because I'm very extrovert, my sense of humour is off the scale, my behaviour at times, I'm just, which is what most people love me for, I always felt that when I'm around people that aren't that way, particularly people like yourself, especially in positions of authority above me, I felt massively judged. Like, I feel like I can't be myself. So when you are, like, so- socialising, sometimes it was easier when those people weren't around because no-one's holding me to no one's no-one's judging me, I can just be me. Whereas even in work, if I came out with a comment and it was in work, you're like, oh, you feel like, oh, you can't say that, Mike, and it's like, all oh, right, okay. And it's like... It's so so hard to be in that situation when that is who you are. Mm-hmm. It's like I want to be me and people like you need to be yourself and it's like but I can't be myself because myself just doesn't work in this environment. Mm-hmm. And you know when like you say 12 months ago I wouldn't have had the confidence to make that decision because I didn't have anything else to hold on to other than the job at that at that time. But because I reclaimed control of who I was, the trajectory I was on, the path I was on, my choices, my decisions it was like taking those two or three days to actually think about it. It was like, yeah, you know, and and I spoke to a few people and I'm always one for a good analogy. I love a good analogy. And there was a couple that, that, you know, that I heard one talked about the, the space shuttle and like how the boosters on a space shuttle were designed to only get the space shuttle so far. They're not designed to go. All the way that 's not their purpose doesn't make them bad doesn 't make them negative. that is their job um He said, and if you 're the space shuttle, sometimes in life you have to understand that in order for you to continue you 've got to let you've got to let go you 've got to let things go, whether it 's people or jobs or whatever it is and it was like, right okay and then and then the other two, which I think are absolutely brilliant, was dead, dead simple, but a bird doesn't know it can fly until it decides to jump. So it's like, well, what's the plan, Mike? What are you going to do next? I don't know. I'm going to jump, and then I'll figure it out. It was like just having that kind of... Um, and then the final one, which was like, a ship in a harbour is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. you know. And things like that, I kept hearing them, and it was like, the more I looked, the more of them I heard. And it, it was like, subliminally, all the things I was watching and reading were telling me to go. It was weird. It's really, really strange. Going back to the positive things last year, you start looking for positive things and positive stuff happens. When you start thought processes about certain things, negative or positive, your life becomes populated with that thing. If it's negative, it's negative. If it's positive, it's positive. It's opportunity, it's opportunity. Life has a very weird subliminal way of showing you the way if you open your mind to the possibility of it, which was, it blew my mind, it was like, it's, it's weird, it's hard to get your head around until it happens
0: to you, but it but it happens. So, why did you, we talked about this, but why, was there no big, big end of, you know, the the, the big Mike leaving party, why, why did you not want to go down that line? Because I'm, like,
1: for, for those that do know me, some, those that know me a bit deeper, like, I'm all about, Integrity and honesty, being true to yourself, all things like that. And I find sometimes with big, big events, sometimes you get a lot of the people pleasers. They turn up because they feel like have to go. And I don't want that. I I know who my friends are. I know who those close closest to me are, and I'll I'll do it my way. Um. But the the other reason ultimately was, it was it was the end of a chapter. It wasn't the end of the story, you know. And. This place is always going to be part of who I am. It's it, it's created who I am, the person I am today, the performer, the the exhibitionist at times, is because of the arts. You know, I didn't get into this as a kid. I, I was like twenty five before I went on stage. But I feel the last fifteen twenty years of my life has made me literally who I am. So I'm certainly not going to be letting go of the arts anytime soon because it's where my lifeblood is. Being on stage, singing, performing making people smile, making people happy, that is that is me, that is what I do. Um, and the fact that you're still here, it's not like, oh, well, I can't, I'd be cutting ties completely. So it, it wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't this, like, this fond farewell of, we hope everything goes well and we'll never see you again. Because once I get my life back on track and f- work out what my career is going to be and, and I get all those pieces back together there will still be a missing piece in that jigsaw which will be the arts that is always going to be a part of my puzzle at the moment i've just taken that piece out and popped it on the side and i'm trying to fit a few more pieces in but at some point it'll be like right it's time to pop that piece back in and add it back in and when i do that there's a pretty strong chance it's going to be here where that is, whether it's on stage performing as an adult, whether it's comparing it a solo event, whether it's coming back in to help nurture the next breed of students or peer mentors, whatever that might be. Who knows? But So it, it was never going to be a goodbye. It was more of a take care, we'll see you soon.
0: Yeah. Can we... Talk then about. I mean, we we have lots of conversations about about the, you know. In the same way you just said about chapter, like chapter fifteen is not the end of people's story. Chapter thirty isn't, and so on and so on. You know, we we we. I know you and I have both read uh, Simon Sinek's Infinite Game and, and and that kind of, you know, that that notion that that everything it, it's staying in the game as long as you can. But when you look back on your uh, on your journey to this point, mm-hmm. I, I think you know. People probably want interested to hear some of your, you know, some of those, those memorable moments. So let us let, start with, um, you know, you've always been part of the solos. I think one of the things that you, you know, as a as a singer, you you, um, you, you know, I'd kind of given you that responsibility to kind of work on the solos and think about about that. So just give us a give us an idea of of, of your favorite solo over the years. It's it's quite an old one and it's one that i talk about passionately
1: for for various reasons but it's always been rock solo you know we've done some fantastic solo events over the years some of the genres have been like uh, off the scale right up my street some of my best performances this but i always always go back to rock solo there was just something about I feel that event was the turning point for Solo. We only got this new idea, Solo, we're going to do cabaret And it started off quite low key, half a dozen singers, you know, and it built up. And then that night it was like, whoa, what have we created? It was like standing room only at the centre. There were just hordes and hordes of people. It was like being at a concert. You know, I, I sang with Ash for the first time. I performed Bed of Roses, which is one of my my songs. And it was the the feel, yeah you can't explain the the feeling that that solo gave me and the the comments afterwards of like I can't believe what what we've just experienced for a fiver it was like it was insane it was it was off the scale and and I don't think we've ever quite you know got to that point again simply because it was like I don't know what it was whether we just turned down how many people can turn up and like we're going to limit seats now and who but that night for some reason it just went through the roof um so it's it's always held a, a real place
0: in my heart rock solo uh, what about shows I, I i get i obviously as a the director of many shows i think we're on 100 and, you know you've been like me here from day one or probably i think we're on that last count i think jokes said it was 130 or something the, the latest show you know and you you've been pretty much integral to to nearly all of them what, what give us a couple of standout shows that you, that, that, from working in, yeah. in your capacity, what, what have stood out? Because it would be different to mine because I, I, I have a different relationship with with the show than than you do. But what what are, give us a couple that have really stood out for you?
1: Yeah, there'd be standouts for me for, for for different reasons. You know, when I I look back to my early days as a director when I I first came on board and started to fine tune my my own art of and, like, the singing shows were, like, my first passion, that they were my, like, I I delivered the classes my way, the shows were done my way, and you listen to people now speak so fondly of those singing shows, and you're like, that was me, I created that. I So there'll always be a, you know, a a real, you know, relationship with those. It'd be hard to kind of pick one. I think the one that we did that was, um, I think it was... um, not heaven and hell, angels and I can't think what. It, sleepless nights, I think it was, which was the devil and the angel. I picture on stage. Um, that was one that always stuck with me because I remember people coming to watch it, and I think it was Joe's uh, performance of transformation in that particular piece that you know that people often talk about. Um, but yeah, the singing shows. But I, as a director, I think my my first real kind of sense of achievement as a, as a director was was Joseph because it was like it was it felt like it was my academy people like my students up Holland this is my thing you go and run with that get this off the ground and Joseph I have had a really close relationship with since we were kids loved joseph knew all the words it was where I made my stage debut as the pharaoh you know the bond with Joseph was always gonna be a special one so to for that to be my first show as a as an mt director was important to me it was like a cast that I'd modelled, a cast that I'd recruited, a cast that I'd worked with. I had my own team of peer mentors. That will probably always go down as a really special place in in my story in terms of you know what it stood for and my attachment to it. Um, as a performer, there's, there's two that stand out probably for obvious reasons. One is The Lost Christmas and obviously Adam's family because you look at me as a character and I resonate towards certain certain roles. The role of Kato was just like, it was just me. that Because I had all this inner negativity, which people didn't realise back then, mm. I found it really easy to channel evil because that's what I was fighting. That's what I dealt with, all this negative energy. It was like, how can I get this out? I'm going to do it on stage. I'm going to play this evil character who is like... And I used to get a real kick out of It, it
0: used to feel great. It was like brilliant scaring kids and jumping out from behind things and just shouting at people and is it, is, you mentioned that it's the first time i've thought about that like for for, for those that don't know Cato is the it's the i think the line goes he's the inner demon that that drives the mind of odin yeah. and you you played that that inner demon exactly which was yeah. so it was like it was really easy to connect with that character
1: and i loved it and it's you know it, it's always a character that i will have a you know a real love for. And then Fester was, as everyone said, you weren't acting. It was a chance for me to be me on stage. You know, this is sound. I get to be that, you know, weird, wacky, crazy, unhinged. And no one can judge me for it. In fact, the more I do it, the better it'll be. And it was like the funny wigs,
0: the funny runs, the weird voices and all of that. And it was just an absolute ball. I think one of the things about Festa, you know, obviously obviously for me to be able to give you the award for that. You know, some people looking on might think, oh, like, you know, of course he's going to win. It's it's Mark's brother or whatever. But but like that would be taking so much away from the quality of that performance. And I think yeah, what you got with Festa which people might not have seen is we all see and we all know that Festa is as you've just said, this eccentric kind of wacky character. But what he was, I think was or what he is 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 really vulnerable, mm. and he's also it, it it's festa that that keeps the family value it's mm. him that is like he is like loyal to the core and i think that you you manage to you naturally play the eccentric really well, but there was a there was a vulnerability and a and a love a lovingness to festa that that was a lot more subtle and i think that i think that you managed to naturally just find. Like you say, from resonating with someone, I think he he pretty much he was the perfect fit, really for you. Yeah. I think,
1: yeah, definitely. And I think the the other two shows that that really stand out over the years. One goes right back to the beginning when we did Blood Brothers, which again, you know, as brothers was just one of those things. You know, you'd never get a chance to do this again. That was, you know, an, an amazing experience to do what like seven shows in five days. It was was brilliant. And then the other one for me was Cats. Again, another show that I've seen four times professionally, and then for us to do it and the stand out, the quality of that performance was just like, and I got to watch it. It was like, yeah, you don't need a backstage. Like, you know what? You and Ash go and get a ticket and go and sit in the audience and watch it. And that for me was a real privilege to actually sit in the audience and watch that production as a as a spectator and just enjoy it for what it was was a real honor at the time like given the cast that we had that cohort of students was just phenomenal um and the, like i say the, the quality from from every from costume to makeup to, to to the set to the performances on stage was just higher than it's you know it was outstanding
0: what what would your advice be to you know if the, if we would we were to replace you with with somebody else what would your advice be to that person I
1: think, so the, the, the replace thing is, is I'm glad you've asked because it, it was something that I, I'm, I'm quite passionate about in terms of the whole context behind the role and not the person because everyone is replaceable in the role but my advice to anyone would be become irreplaceable for who you are. I know there is no one here that's that's like me in terms of my personality, my the energy, the the, the the socks, the what, whatever it is, whatever you bundle Mike up is what is the package. There is only me that is is that because we're all unique. So it would be become irreplaceable in terms of who you are. Become someone that they will never forget by whatever that is, and I suppose alongside that as we've spoke about those values which are massively massively important to me is make sure that as well as you abide by the senses because that that's the lifeblood that is the that you have your own work out what your values are the centers are the center's values and that's great and that's fine and making them your values again is part of that but it's vital that you've got your own Because it's your values that define you. Don't make the mistake that I made over all those years where the only definition of you is the centre because it consumes you completely that you forget who you are. And it's taken me the last 12 months to find myself again and find my hobbies and find things away from the centre that I can enjoy so that the centre isn't 100% of who you are. It's not your social
0: circle, your work circle, your, your everything because that, that's unhealthy. What did the, g- give me an idea of the biggest, if I said to you, what's the, your, what's the biggest lesson that the centre taught you, what, what would that be?
1: If, if the one lesson I take away from my time here is to anyone, you've got to make yourself a priority, because I didn't. I spent far too many years making the centre my priority in every single aspect of my life. Until it was too late, and I ended up at the bottom of a pile that I didn't know how to get out of.
0: Mike, final question. You've been on such a journey in the last 12 years, but particularly, I think, in the last two years. I think you've been on a huge journey of self discovery, you know, and li- sitting with you and talking about and, and listening to where you're at now it fills me with so much optimism. And pride, really, because I, I at one point I just thought you were heading for the rocks. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? For for those that, that that follow my story,
1: social media, you know, I always hashtag one day at a time because when you suffer with mental health and you struggle with mental health, as I've touched on today, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what you know um, hand you're going to get dealt. So it's really, really hard to, to look to the future. But obviously to have goals is is important and, you know, you're never going to hit a target if you don't aim at it. So there are certainly things in there. Me and Ash speak often about moving out of the flat and getting a house, starting a family. These are things that are right up on the top of our, our list. Um, to go abroad, people probably won't, you know, believe this, but... It's probably been 20 years since I went abroad. You know, your stag do was probably the last time I left these shores, but that was at Thailand. It's not like I'm talking about a proper summer holiday. We're talking like what Benadon back in 2002. It's like 20 years ago. And the other one, which this is like a bit of a, a podcast exclusive, which wasn't the plan, but is great. One of my bucket list things has always been to run a marathon. And for those that obviously don't know and won't know, I am going to fulfil that next year. So for the last three years, I've submitted an application for the London Marathon and failed twice. But then luckily this year, London i have now bought the rights to Brighton, the Brighton Marathon. And there was a, a bit of a kicker in the application this year, whereas if on your third attempt, you fail in your application for London, which is my first choice, you get a free place at Brighton. So either way, next April, I will be running my first marathon, which is a massive tick on my bucket list, which was, you know, when I got back into my running journey, that has always been my goal, to, to do that, and next year I will fulfil that. Fingers crossed it's London, because that's the the dream for me, but if not, it will be Brighton, and I will continue to apply for London until it happens. <laughs> but they are they are some of the things in my future that I am like... Yeah. The career thing, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest. People say, so what What? What? job? What are you? I haven't got a clue. You know, for the next couple of weeks, at least, I'm just going to sit in this situation that I'm in and process it and soak it up and let it pass. And then when I'm ready, I've got people in my network to talk to that have got, you know, tools and advice to, to put me on the right path. So I'm, I'm not concerned you know, I know that my character and personality and skill set will stand me in good stead moving forward. So don't worry about what I'm doing next. But, yeah, house, family, holiday, marathon. <laughs> they're me. They're me for.
0: And with that, I'll, we, I want to wish you all the all the luck in the world, as always. Uh, and I feel I've really enjoyed... This has been an exclusive conversation. You know, we've we've not really had this we've we've spoken briefly about certain things but we've not spoken this much detail um about about it so for everyone i hope who's listening you know it is a bit of an exclusive that we've just had so mike thanks for your honesty thanks for your um i think you spoke really really well about your struggles it's great to hear how how much you've you've learned and evolved i think it's a it, as i say i feel really optimistic and, and proud about where you are and, and where you've come from so on behalf of everyone uh, at the art Centre and specifically me th- thank you. Oh,
1: you're welcome it's been a privilege.